0: Welcome to another episode of the RN Mentor Podcast. Uh, today, I am being joined uh, by a, a colleague that I've admired uh, from afar, I should say, uh, through through social media. Uh, but I'm so glad uh, I have her here, Dr. Jess dillard Wright. Uh, she is a nurse and midwife, uh, serves as director for the College of Nursing Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and and as Uh, teaching faculty in the pre-licensure Clinical Nurse Leader MSN program at Augusta University. Dr. Dillard Wright received her Bachelor's of Science, uh, Technology, and Culture at Georgia Institute of Technology, her Master's of Science in Women's History uh, from Sarah Lawrence College, her Master's of Nursing Science Clinical Nurse Leader from Medical College of Georgia, and her Master of Science in Community-Based Nurse Midwifery, from Frontier Nursing University. She is a Jonas Nurse Leader, a scholar, alumna, uh, and an NEF scholar. Uh, her doctoral studies combine her love for uh, feminist thought, philosophy of science, and history with her passion for nursing. Uh, Dr. Dillard Wright's dissertation study uh, is titled, Cassandra, Radical Feminist Nurse Network, Feminism, Nursing, and a History of the Present, a little-known but powerful collective of activist nurses that resist um, heteropatriarchal norms in nursing, uh, creating a space for women's identified community. Her scholarship has been published in Nursing Philosophy and Advanced in Nursing Science. Dr. Dillard-Rights uh, is one of the organizers a uh, Radical Nurse Collective, a founder, founding member of the Nursology Theory Collective, uh, and an organizer with the startup, Nursing Mutual Aid, and there's a lot more uh, to this. Uh, you can catch Dr. Wright's full bio on my website, com. So www.aliartayyeb.com. Welcome to the show, Dr. Wright.
1: Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for I'm, having me.
0: I am super excited to, to have you. Uh, like I said, I've uh, we have been connected through social media for quite some time and we've, on, on one occasion, at least we've, we've spoken in person, not in person, but social media or, uh, virtually, virtually, that's the word I'm looking for. Um, uh, so thank you. Uh, I admire your, your thoughts and what you share. And, uh, like, like I mentioned to you a few minutes before we started recording, uh, uh, I just, uh, there's a lot of things I want to unpack with you because I, you know, um, uh, minute we'll get to that uh so uh actually i think you're my you and my last guests are like uh, master's degree collectors uh <laughs> so well, let's hold on before we get into that how did you get started in nursing because uh nursing doesn't i don't think nursing was the first thing you got into uh uh so how did you get started uh, with your path into nursing and we'll take it from there
1: yeah this is like a, a long story and a short story and i guess um my my nan was a nurse she was uh, trained at upenn hospital school of nursing and graduated in 1948 um and that's i don't know special to me because actually one of the she died of complications due to alzheimer's and one of the last kind of like cogent memories she had was about her her work as a nurse and i think that that speaks to like the power and um significance of this kind of work um and my mom's a nurse uh, also um she's done primarily community health through school nursing um and so there's always been nurses in my life, in my life. Um, and my I will also say my dad is a physician. Um, so I, at one point, I really thought my path would probably steer me down, uh, steer me towards medicine. Um, and then I can remember reading this book when I was like 11 or 12. It's uh, by Katherine Patterson. It's called Jacob Have I Loved? And in the end of the book, the main character goes on to become a midwife. And that's my first memory knowing what a midwife was. Um, and it's, this like fiction, you know, like YA fiction book. Um, and I was like, Oh, that's it. That's what I'm supposed to do. Um, so I, you know, kind of bump, bumped along until I got to, um, undergrad, uh, where I was still kind of chasing down this idea of going into medicine. Um, that's how I kind of ended up at Georgia tech. Um, but I, found that there was these dimensions of my education that I re- that were just like not working for me. Right. Um, I, I wanted to ask different kinds of questions than what my initial major in biochemistry was going to allow. And so that's kind of how I found my way to science, technology, and culture, which is, it was like science studies. Um, so I, I did that and I really fell in love with philosophy of science and um, the ways in which um the ideas in science and and the development of knowledge in science are socially constructed, right? I think that that's a really um, valuable dimension of the work that we do in science. So it's in particular, like, I I think this comes to bear on the way I understand the political terrain of our current climate. Right. But we can talk about that at some other point. Um, So I eventually, um, so, so I, so I did the the study in in science, technology and culture. And um, I also ended up with a, a, like a, focus in women and gender studies in that in that uh, subfield. Um, and from there, I uh, decided to go on to Sarah Lawrence, uh, where I did my MA in women's history, um, <clears throat> in part because there was a faculty who had a, a joint appointment at Georgia Tech and at Sarah Lawrence. And he really kind of encouraged me to think about uh, women's history um, and, and, and whether that program could be a good fit. And I initially didn't really think so because I didn't think I was that interested in history. But it turns out that's not true at all. Um, and what I'm interested in is, is like, history of ideas and the way that we come to kind of um, understand things the way we do at a given period in time. And I see continuity across space and time and, and influence. And um, it's tempting to want to think about, like, breaks and ruptures and transformations and radical revolution. Um, but really, like, if we look at the way um, nursing, for example, has has kind of evolved it really there's things that happened in the 1860s and 1870s that really kind of continue to influence how we understand ourselves today. Um, and so that gets me to I don't know like 2006. Um, I was living in New York. Uh, I met my spouse and we at one uh, we ended up getting married and then moving to to Georgia. I got a job after I graduated um, teaching here in Richmond County um, in Augusta, Georgia. Um, and so, while I was teaching, um, I was also like, I loved it. It was I was teaching special ed, but I also wanted something more and, and kind of different. And so, um, at that time, I had sort of, at one point, I almost left Sarah Lawrence because I wanted to go to nursing school so I could pursue this midwifery path. I'm glad I stuck with it, and I, I <laughs> ended up finishing my my MA there. But um, when we came back to Augusta, um, they had just started a pre-licensure MSN program at Medical College of Georgia. And so it was like perfect timing for someone like me who had a master's degree already being able to enter nursing without having to do another bachelor's degree. Um, and so after uh, a year of teaching and having my first kid, I decided I wanted to go to nursing school. Um, from there, I mean, my, like, I was sure I was on like this like really linear trajectory at that point. I did not expect to take the detours that I did. Um, but <laughs> while I was, I, I mean, I, I ended up falling in love with high acuity nursing. So I spent time working as a, a staff nurse in a level one trauma center emergency department, and then I wor- worked in trauma critical care um, for, for for quite a while. Um, I did go to midwifery school. I, I um, started at Frontier in. I don't know when 2013. Um, and I graduated in at the end of 2015 and, um, shortly thereafter, I started my PhD and that's sort of, um, in, uh, October of 2016, I started, uh, as full-time faculty, um, and I have been teaching, um, ever since.
0: Now I, I, for you, for you that you, you took, uh, such a trajectory into, um, for, um, into academia as part of your role uh what was the push towards that because you know uh, academia is one of those areas where uh, a lot of nurses may be hesitant to get into not because they don't like teaching but uh, often it doesn't uh, it affects the pocketbook a little bit or they don't feel comfortable or they don't feel qualified for whatever reason or uh, what was your push towards that
1: um i love i love teaching i love educating and um I love it. And I think it's really, really important. Um, I think that there's ways in which the work that we do as uh, teaching faculty um, shapes the future of our discipline. And I mean, like there's, we, we should really acknowledge how much power there is in that, right? Like this is a really yep. um, important thing, um, but it's also an honor and a privilege and it's a joy, right? To to be able to kind of midwife students from this like non-nursing status to becoming nurses, um, and so when I'm thinking about like uh, that, I think midwifery really informs the way that I teach and the kind of approaches to pedagogy I take. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I also, I also love it. I love seeing lights come on for the first time and then like students throwing things at you that you never considered before. That is my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love the, like the dialectic of education, right. Where, where, um, I can frame things for them that they've never thought about before, and then the delight when they do the same thing for me—it's just like it's awesome.
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's actually kind of you. You mentioned that uh, there's a couple of courses that uh, uh, that I've taught in the past. In the past, that that uh, to to a group, select group of students uh, that tend to uh, challenge and and it, uh, challenge the faculty, uh, and they are usually students that have a previous degree. Uh, so those tend to be the sort of i want to say type a where they do they do their homework they prep they come to class and ready to ask questions and that throws some faculty off sometimes so uh it's interesting <laughs> uh, so it's one of the it's, it's some of the courses that i actually enjoy because it, it, it promotes discussion and i'm okay with saying you know i have no idea where what the answer to this but i like having those discussions that you know reaches some, sometimes to a to an answer but sometimes it continues on uh so so yeah uh, and you have a background in, in teaching as well so you you mentioned you you taught uh, special ed actually uh, uh, uh my wife taught special ed for for a number of years for 20 some odd years uh so uh so uh, do you bring any of those skill sets to, <laughs> uh, to uh to uh to your teaching practice uh, what you did because uh, i know my wife, I want to say my wife sometimes uses some of those techniques on me. So,
1: <laughs> well, I think things like classroom management and like learning how to how to, you know, communicate clearly, like it sounds so silly and, and like it wouldn't be hard. But when you're trying to communicate clearly with, you know, five year olds with significant developmental delays, like it really does force the issue of like, are you getting your message across in a way that is um, apprehendable by the audience? um so so i think that's that's really helpful and i mean i think that all of our life experiences coalesce to kind of prepare us in different ways like i think um and this is one of the things i like about the pre-licensure masters entry program right is that students will think that their background in like entomology won't be useful or that their background as a i don't know business person isn't useful but really at the end of the day it it is and it's in part because it brings this um perspective uh, informed by life experience right like to to our discipline in ways that we wouldn't have otherwise and i think that there's never i mean we benefit from that as a discipline to have these um like the polyvocal perspectives of all these different other fields um so i i think that life experience is um incredibly valuable um and we don't have a way to quantify that and of course like there's we could talk a lot about the um kind of reductive things that we expect from students um and i think that kind of informs the those um positions in in nursing ed where faculty don't like their power or authority questioned. right like we are accustomed to kind of having a handle on everything right. um but like you know even in the clinical setting we never actually do have a handle on everything and anything can change at any minute so why not be open to the possibilities. I,
0: I I embrace that. I think that's been one of my hardest uh, things to try to get a handle on uh, since we are teaching online right now with the pandemic and everything. Uh, it's it's been how do the I miss the engagement I can do in a classroom versus online. Online as the semester has gone by, it feels like less and less. People are on video, and less and less people are really engaged. So uh, I see the audience dwindling. It's just it burns the. I think it's burning them out, and they just they spend so many hours online. It just becomes. Uh, so I, I i miss I miss the classroom interaction. It's got a different energy. It's almost. I feel like a comedian without an audience, right? So <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, so yes, I, I feel. Like, I, I hear you.
0: Uh, the feedback's not there. We're like, oh, where's I need that energy to work half of. So anyway, uh, so thank you for that. Um now I um uh so c- first of all, let me let me say congratulations because you you just recently uh, defended your dissertation. Um and um I have to I have to admit I hate the word defense. Uh I, I mean it should it should be just a presentation of your <laughs> dissertation, right? I don't know what you're defending. You're de- I mean the people that got I always tell people, can we get rid of that terminology? Because you get to a point hoping your committee prepared you so you don't have to defend it anymore, right? Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, if you're defending at that point, it's kind of messed up, right?
1: Well, uh, yeah, I mean, shouldn't this be, mm, that's really interesting and and maybe a different conversation. But I, I've been thinking a lot about the practices that we engage in as academics, both at the graduate and in the pre-licensure levels. Um why do we do the things we do, and the language that we choose matters?
0: Yeah, no, yeah, I'm I'm lucky. I came. I think uh, the university I got uh, university. Of, I'll I'll give them a shout out. University of San Diego. Uh, they moved away from the word defense and they call it presentations because you know again, you your committee has helped you prepare for that moment. At that point, you should just be presenting your work, uh, not defending it from the people that were supposedly helping you. So. That, um, like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so uh, I want to talk about your work because it sounds it sounds fascinating, and I'm sorry I missed your presentation. Um, no, I can send uh, what... you
1: the link if you want. I mean, like, if you're interested. Yeah, actually,
0: I can put it online. Oh, cool. Uh, okay. I can put it on the website, so if any of our uh, listeners want to listen to your dissertation, that'll be fantastic. Um, uh, what was what was the work about, and um. And can you talk a little bit about uh, what what got you into that work because from the sound of it, it was a little bit part of your previous master's degrees. and it was kind of a combination of the work, right? Um, so how what was the topic more specifically about?
1: Um well, so uh, my dissertation focuses on Cassandra Radical Feminist Nurses Network, which was this little like um radical feminist organization in nursing. Um, That was started in 1982, um, sort of as the equal rights amendment, like the sunset on the equal rights amendment in uh, June of 1982, the American Nurses Convention took place in DC. So there was these like two huge events going on the ANA biannual convention, and the end of the equal rights amendment. So there was like protests all over DC. And nothing, like, nothing uh, at the ANA convention about this going on. And, you know, <laughs> like, the gender composition of nursing being what it was at that moment, which was greater than 90% women, you, I, I would sort of expect to hear something about it. But really, it was, like, two kind of, it's like parallel play, right? Like, nothing, no crossover. Um, And so Cassandra kind of formed in response to this. Um, Cassandra was founded by Peggy Chin and Charlene Wheeler and other um nurses who have gone on to do in, important and and great things um, and um, sort of recognizing that the ANA wasn't taking up these these radical feminist kinds of aims um and it was a, you know explicitly feminist group um which for nursing was not real common um, and 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 I think in, um the other thing I would kind of point out here is that um Cassandra Radical Feminist Nurses Network was really um, primarily kind of like a lesbian separatist type of feminism, mostly, not entirely, but um, so, so that's another dimension of, of Cassandra Radical Feminist Nurses Network that I think was um, not well accounted for, not well attended to in considerations that uh, were central to the ANA. Um, and so so in the formation of Cassandra, we see some parallels with organizations like um, the National Black Nurses Association and the National Hispanic Nurses Association, where um they're both both those groups were also kind of formed in response to um the 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 like pr- predominantly white institution of the ANA not really attending to these um community needs in in a particularly right. meaningful way
0: like the um, underrepresentation of the of the groups uh, with the larger organizations Yeah, I,
1: exactly yeah. um and so so Cassandra was formed, um, in 1982 and they went on to have several, they would kind of, um, ride along like and have side meetings at other bigger meetings. Um, that's, they did that sometimes. And then they also had some national gatherings themselves. Um, and they published a, a newsletter, um, three times a year from 1982 until the end of 1989. Um, this group was like was directly connected in with a broader radical feminist community as well so um Denise Connors for example um was um a nurse who wrote frequently for the Cassandra News Journals who was also um like cited in Mary Daly's work Mary Daly was a radical feminist um and author of Gynecology um the ethics of radical feminism um and then other members of Cassandra were also affiliated with collectives like the Furies Collective which was a um uh, lesbian separatist collective in DC in the early 1970s, and it's historically significant in its own right. Um, so, so what what I see in in Cassandra is um, uh, a, an explicit feminist orientation um, that was not simply a liberal feminist orientation, but a radical feminist orientation. Um, and I could get into the weeds about talking about the different kinds of feminism if you want. I'll I'll leave that up to you. <laughs>
0: Oh. Maybe not so much in the into the weeds, but uh, <laughs> but I do want to talk about feminism a, a little bit with you, just because uh, you know uh, it's it's often seen as uh, this, uh, it's not seen for what it is, but it's seen as this uh, pro women anti everybody else type of a thing, which it really isn't. Uh, but if you want to talk a little bit about the about this, that'd be great.
1: Yeah, so so I think that there's as many flavors of feminism as there are like feminists. And um, certainly we do have uh, problematic variants of feminism that are very much about um, I've got mine, so I don't really care about anybody and what they what they need. Um, I would say like a generic definition is sort of um, uh, uh, political activism and praxis that center uh, an analysis that centers the um, like political, social, economic, and cultural needs of, um, women and often, um, uh, often other folks in gender minorities, although sometimes not. Right. Um, and there's also sometimes children included in that kind of purview as well. Um, and, and you hear me hedging because <laughs> like it, there are really definitions that would completely co- contradict that. Um, So uh, the kind of feminism that Cassandra was exercising was radical cultural feminism, which is a, uh, and the word radical here, I'm going to take a moment and like define radical radical means kind of getting at the root of things. We have this idea that radicals is like super politically charged anything, but like at the end of the day, nursing should probably be radical because we should be looking for root causes of problems rather than like superficial. Um, So Cassandra uh, identified itself as a radical uh, cultural feminist organization. So they see patriarchy as the um, a, a central oppressive force in societies uh, through space and time. And they kind of valorize the feminine arts and femininity. There's this is in contrast to li- radical libertarian feminism, which kind of um, s- sought balance and androgyny rather than leaning into like a feminine, more feminine identity. Oh. Um, and now I've lost my thread of what, what, what the question was to begin with.
0: Uh, just an overall explanation of what feminism, you know, uh, means, which you know, from uh, I, and I come from a from a novice perspective, so excuse me if I'm getting this wrong. You're fine. <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, but really, looking at, and I think a lot of people identify with sort of what we what you would call like the sort of the radical extremes uh, the extremes part where I think most people when they hear feminism some people like get defensive especially uh, people of my gender right but, so for, for as a male individual when you hear feminism uh, some of the reactions can be uh, how am I going to um, fit into this narrative right uh, so or is there even a place for me in this narrative and I think that's some of the extremes that uh, uh, kind of default, Uh, Have defaulted me in the past, uh, you know, of saying, "Well, what is my role?" Uh, Which was one of actually, as we're talking about this, was one of my biggest, I want to say, concerns coming into the nursing profession is, uh, will I have opportunities as a male individual or as someone who identifies as, you know, uh, the way the way I do, coming from a from a you know, uh, coming from a military background, right? So a huge shift in paradigms and how I would be able to, uh, progress in the profession and what, what would be my role in the profession. And, and I've had actually people in the past, you know, pretty much blatantly tell me men don't belong in nursing. Right. Um, so, so I know there, there are, there are variations and I, I can, I can, uh, I can see your wheels are turning. <laughs> so, yeah. uh,
1: I, I think I would, what I would point out there is like, that's um, there are feminist critiques that you can make of that, right? Like, why should we have a profession like nursing be bound by gender roles? Is there anything innate about what we do as nurses that is essentially tied to our gender? And there are feminists that would say absolutely. And then there's others that would say absolutely not. And there's, you know, there's ways in which, Those kinds of rigid ideals are just as harmful for, um, for all people, no matter where you identify on the kind of, um, continuum of gender.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I, I, I've, I've always kind of struggled with that a little bit because I'm always, you know, um, uh, I've I was raised by a single mom, uh, you know, uh, uh, surrounded primarily with by by women, you know, growing up, uh, and you know, I have two little girls, and so, so you know, I'm always looking for angles of how can I support anything that would, uh, uh, pr- uh that would, uh, uh, promote equity, right? Uh, I think that's that's kind of that's kind of my my piece is how can I make sure, um, uh, everybody. Uh, is on the same uh, like level, right? Um, so, so, so from that perspective, I've always try to find like my my role in how I can contribute, but not to you know. I, and I don't, I don't. I'm, I'm trying to be careful how I say this. So, <laughs> uh, so not to the point where I'm like I'm going to hinder my own progress in the profession, right? But how can I find my role in the profession of nursing? Um, where I am supportive of like the movements that I know is going to make the world a better place, but how do I do it without uh, uh, sort of taking a backseat seat to whatever else is pushing the agenda forward uh, and i'm and i'm and, and you know those are the things i struggle with and sometimes i look at the situation i'm like you know what i need to take a back seat on this particular issue because i should not in any form or fashion be at the head of the line on this one because there's other individuals more qualified uh, with the experience and the knowledge and the know-how but i'll be more than happy to support right uh, you know, this, and then there's other issues. Like for for my own stuff, you know, like uh, veteran stuff. I'm like, yes, I do want to be at the head of the line on that one because that's where my expertise is, right? Um, so, so that's kind of where uh, my thoughts kind of go. So as you're looking at this, and since you've done you've done like the historical perspective of of looking at this, um, um and looking at nursing and where nursing is right now, um, and Okay, the political environment in, in recent in recent months, or I want to say years, uh, really has pushed nursing to different sides. Right there, we do have nurses that are uh, that are uh, that that very much supported the current administrations, and then there's other nurses that are on the other extreme uh, to you know um, uh, that are. That were very anti-current administ- that are very anti-current administration, but for various reasons. And so, and then you, you know, you mentioned the American Nurses Association, which just kind of kind of took a took a neutral uh uh perspective uh on things. Um so from from a nursing perspective, from a, from where where nursing is right now, what are your some of your uh ideas on where nursing is going as far as uh, when we look at uh, things like gender roles and how we are dealing with uh, some of the current issues. Well,
1: that's, that's really interesting. And I, I, um, I think one of the most interesting um, kind of interstices that has bubbled up recently is, was during the um, civil uprising uh, around the murder of George Floyd um, and others. And at this like, time when PPE was running really low. And then you see the United States government and or the national guards and or police forces, militarized police forces, literally mobilizing tanks, right? So we saw tanks running through... like, uh, suburban neighborhoods or neighborhood residential neighborhoods, that's sort of like, or residential residential neighborhoods, I think, in Minneapolis. At the same, like, uh, roughly the same time, we're seeing images of nurses in New York City wearing literal trash bags. Yep. Instead of PPE. And when I think about the like confluence of like white supremacy and gender, um, like, uh, I don't know, cis-heteropatriarchy, like, I can't think of a more cogent example of where we see this, like, prioritization of certain kinds of values, ideals, expectations, and a, a denigration of other kinds. Um, and and so we're, we're really willing to, like, talk about how nurses are heroes and are sacrificial, you know, lambs or whatever. Um, and, oh, sorry, we just can't do this, this, and this to protect them. However can mount this kind of incredible, extremely resourced response to um, people exercising their right to protest. Um, and so I think that there's um, there's a lot to unpack, there a lot to talk about, a lot to think about. Um, and, and so um, I think um, I think right now, for me, that like feminist critiques also have to include, a clear dimension of, of, um, critical race theory and anti-racist analysis also, right? Like, so in, in, in my kind of formulation, those two things can't happen without each other, right? Like we can't really talk about, um, gender without also talking about race and also class and, and ability and, and other dimensions too. These, these, um, facets of identity are interlocking, right? And here I'm thinking Kimberly Crenshaw and, uh, Patricia Collins, um, and their work on, on feminism and, um, intersectionality in particular um and the matrix of domination um so and and yet we still find ourselves in a situation as nurses where i think people are kind of tired of hearing about the pandemic right i that's my my, (laughs) i'm tired of hearing about it i guess um but we're still having uh, nurses who are reusing PPE, right? So, oh, so yeah, we, we aren't talking about that as a crisis anymore, and yet uh, we still like the material reality of you know reusing an N95 for however long you have to reuse it for. When it all other points of my career, it's been a once and you know one use, one one in the room and out, and you throw it away. Right. Um. So. I think that there's a lot of work that we can do around that. And, and I think the other thing I would say is that like my understanding of what it means to be a nurse and what it means to do nursing as a praxis is, um, uh, inextricably related to my ideas and, and kind of ethos connected to this like anti-racist feminist approach to, to life. And so when I'm thinking about this, like, yes, we should be thinking about what's going on at the bedside, but also we really have to embrace the fact that nursing can take place in the world and it doesn't have to just take place in like a, a, a hospital setting right um, so back to our very first part of the conversation we were talking about education I think sometimes in nursing ed we get in this stance of thinking about oh well we need to make nurses work ready for this kind of environment um, but maybe we need to be thinking about how to make nurses work ready for the kind of environment Corey Bush is in right where she's, she's right. taking nursing considerations I think she's taking nursing ideas um, and and trying to put them into action as national policy, um, and I love her speech about love and what that means, right? Like to me, that's that's nursing theory, and that's what it can be. That's what it maybe should be.
0: Right, uh, and I think part of the part of the issue, as you're you're making my wheels turn now, um, and I think part of the issue is that we we. We put nursing in this one box of this is what it is. And I think that's that goes with some of the historical Florence Nightingale type of mentality, which I know uh some of the people um <clears throat> that I, you know, that are colleagues of mine, I've known for years, things like that, very much feel like they need to be in that Florence Nightingale box, right? And not come out of that. Uh, and I, and I think that's, that, that's part of the issue. And one of the reasons I definitely wanted to have you on, the, on this show is because you challenge that, right? Um, you challenge that, uh, that uh, thought process of uh, this, uh, you know, how nurses are put into this uh, sort of drawn as this particular way. And this is what nurses are and this is what nurses do. So when you do anything outside of that, uh, it's it seems so so strange for people. It's one of the reasons I you know I started this podcast. And I'm like, there's so many nurses doing some incredible things. I want to bring that to my undergraduate students and my graduate students because so many of them just think bedside. And I can't tell you how many times my students have said. Oh my god! I never thought about this, or oh my god, this is what I want to get into, or this is what I want to do. But up until that point, the only thing they've been exposed to is bedside nursing. Uh, and I think, uh, and I think that's where uh, your thought process, and that's where your writings and things like that that I've seen, really challenges the norm of what nursing, you know, should be. I'm doing air quotes for since <laughs> this is not a video, so we're doing air quotes of how nursing should be. Uh, so I, so I love that idea uh, because like I've mentioned to you before, I've never uh, identified with the Florence Nightingale. I love, I, <laughs> you know, I, I want to say, I love her place in history of, you know uh, you know, broad science and things like that. But nursing has been around for much longer uh, with in different cultures, in different countries uh, the Florence Nightingale, you know, somebody uh, I, I saw on social media, somebody had, Uh, put something about uh, how religion or Christianity specifically and Florence Steingale and how the concepts of the two were kind of, uh, you know, uh, were influenced. And then I want, I was about to chime into that conversation and I chose not to, Uh, but there are so many other countries that don't necessarily follow that model. Uh, There's still science-based evidence-based, but you know, religion doesn't play that uh, big of a role uh, in those, in some of those societies. So, um, so what is your, your, your getting to the question for you? Uh, what do you think about the Florence Dyingale model of nursing of what traditional, what we consider sort of traditional nursing and how does it, does it have a place in today's, uh, today's nursing world or today's world period?
1: Hmm. Um, that's a really good question and it's funny because before you before we sign on i was on twitter one of my colleagues has written an article recently for nursing cleo which is a history blog about um nightingale's colonial uh, legacy um and the first thing i would say is that there has always been, like, nursing has been a thing long before Nightingale came along. Nightingale actually herself went to training school. So that tells us right then and there that <laughs> she didn't invent it, right? right. Um, Nightingale was a really effective organizer. And I think that she was, like, kind of um, indomitable, right? Like, I think she was a sort of ir- irresistible force sometimes. Um, but she's also the reason why nursing has largely been kind of, like, relegated to the hospital setting, right? Like, the, right. And, and sort of the order of business... Um, for the hospital um, hierarchy is kind of the way it is. Um, so I think that um nightingale was was, you know like the things that she was were were amazing, right? Like I, before I anyone's ire gets up at me, like I do think that she was important, and we need to understand her role. Yeah. Um, but I also think that she's complicated, and it's not yeah. as easy as um like sort of seeing her as the angel in the hospital, right? So there's this like, um the lady of the lady with the lamp um image has an ideological function for us right like right. like we we use that and 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 um sort of this angelic trope of nursing still persists, right? Uh, and
0: I think that's by design, right? I think that's by design. Sort of how Santa Claus wears the red suit and it was designed by Coca-Cola, right? So I think it's very much uh, not Santa Claus was it, but the the red the image of Santa Claus. I think I think I think it was a marketing thing. I in my head it's always been a marketing thing of how the Lady with the lamp uh, concept has kind of pushed through. Sorry I interrupted.
1: Oh you're fine. And and, and I think that actually what what Nightingale really was successful in doing was sanitizing nursing so that it was a palatable profession for the daughters of the middle-class and right. the white daughters of right. uh, middle-class families. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And, and um, it's it, it sort of, I mean, we can talk a little bit about Nightingale herself. Like she was only able to go into nursing and be professionally a nurse because she had a, a like annual allowance that allowed her to do so after she was emancipated by her family um and so 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 this like innately privileged perspective i think is important that we reckon with it's also true that that is linked up with um making nursing into a really white profession which is also a a trend that persists to to the present um whether we're talking about the colonial legacy of nightingale or even talking about uh, mary seacole who was not allowed to Forces um, because she was a a Creole Jamaican woman. um, We see this like active way in which these Victorian ideals of womanhood are being imposed in what this burgeoning profession. Um, We also then show off everything that happened before 1860, right? Like, because we think of okay, Nightingale 1860, (laughs) boom, nursing came into being. Well, actually, (laughs) that's not totally true either.
0: I, I always like to go back to just again identifying as a male nurse. Uh, I always like to go back to like the Knights of Malta. that's just a cool <laughs> concept of of men taking care of people in the battlefield and nursing them back to health. So I always like to uh, go back but but that's not that's not again that 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 goes back to an era where nursing still existed prior to that, and um people just not in the in the way. Nightingale, as you mentioned, organized it and kind of placed it in the hospital setting. and uh, but the overall concept has been around since probably the beginning of time of nursing people back to health. and there's individuals in the communities you know that did that, you know, right? Well,
1: and, and I mean, there are religious legacies, and I, I think that Nightingale is tied to Christianity, but there there's right. also a long tradition in um, in other faiths of of hospital healing, like having centers for healing as part of um, service to the community. Um, That, you know, that's not limited just to Christianity or anything.
0: Right, right. I mean, as always, I mean, spirituality is one of those components that, however, you identify, uh, you know, with spiritual healing, whether it's related to uh, a, a sort of an almighty being or anything else, right? Uh, I think it definitely plays a role in the individual's uh, healing process. So, yeah, so I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, as you mentioned, of how it was um, colonialized. Uh, and I well, think that, that's where we sometimes bump heads um, in ideologies.
1: Yeah. And, and and I mean, Nightingale's model was like picked up and exported. So we see it coming to mm. the United States by 1873. And then we see it kind of disseminating around the world as well. Um, right. Sort of indirectly to places like the Philippines. Right? Um, um, Choice Empire of Care is a really great um Discussion of the colonial history of nursing, uh, between the, the United States and the Philippines. Um, that if anybody's interested in looking more at that history, it's she's so good and so interesting. Um, the ways that she's able to capture the transnational flow of people and information and um, the development of nursing um, through through that time, beginning in you know the I don't know I think the end of the 1800s at, through the 20th century. So, um, you know, there's this way in which it was the model that got picked up and, and replicated and that's a colonial endeavor as well. Right. Like taking these ideas and transplanting them other places.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, thank you. I wish we had more time uh, to talk about this. Um, but I wanted to also get to some of the other work that you're doing. Uh, right now with uh, sort of, I want to call them side projects, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you work uh, with, uh, with uh, Nursology, which actually I, I didn't know it uh, existed until a couple of years ago. Uh, so the concept of uh, you write for uh, a blog with Nursology, and you're also uh, one of the co-founders, founders, organizers. Yeah, that's-
1: that's a little like there's crossover there, but yeah. it's not, they're not the same. I am on okay. the blog management team for the Nursology okay. blog. Um, but I'm also in um, uh, the nurseology blog, put together this um, theory conference a couple years ago, maybe two years ago. Okay. I don't know. I, it's, my sense of space is, or time is completely, <laughs> completely distorted. We're, um, we're, I,
0: all, we're all in that boat.
1: Um, and out of that conference, um, some of the folks who were so so this was conference that they had it, at Case Western, and I think it was in 2019, was a callback to some historic nursing conferences, nursing theory conferences that took place in the um, like 1968, 69, and 70, I think. Um, and um, so so they were having this like 50 year kind of um, commemoration um, in 2019, and some of the. Uh, I, so there was folks who were at those original conferences um, in the 60s, seventies, um, and I, I am, I was not, um, and there were others of us who, who were not there, right? So there was this, a little bit of a stratification, I think, in terms of um, age, right? So um, some of the the folks that were there that are um, still working on like their PhD and things kind of felt like we needed, we had a, we needed a space where we could talk more about these ideas in nursing, and so we formed what would become the Nursology Theory Collective, although we started out as a Nursing Theory Collective. Um, uh, and so the uh, Nursology Theory Collective, NTC, um, has done uh, several different things. Um, around. We've done posters together around nursing theory, brainstorming ideas for how to bring more nursing theory into teaching spaces, because um, what I think we're seeing sometimes is that nurses don't, and you sort of suggested this too, we don't have a lot of space time to talk about ideas in nursing. Um, and so there's this kind of um, um, failure to recognize that we have that tradition. Like we have this, this set of ideas in nursing that are central to nursing, that are, you know, organizing principles in nursing. Um, but how do we bring that to the classroom so that we can that, um, kind of persist? Right. Um, and and I obviously, like, I like to talk about the history of ideas. I like to talk about the way people think. I like to think about epistemology and ontology. Um, and I think it's good for nurses to do that, all nurses to do that. Um, so that's part of uh, what what we do. We've written a few things. We've written some letters, made some um, like collective statements around the importance of anti-racism and things like that. Um, so yeah, we've also done posts on the Nursology blog, right? So the Nursology Theory Collective is um, kind of uh, uh, loosely affiliated with the blog, let's say.
0: <laughs> right. um, now, um, from from that concept, and, and you mentioned nursing theory, and it's one of those things that I feel like, uh, and you know, maybe if you can share your experience, are we are we seeing a movement away from nursing theory uh, from an academic perspective? Because I I feel like from what I'm seeing, uh, there's a movement away from that, and more kind of embracement of the medical model um you know what i mean yeah Yeah, no
1: i i do and i i think that we see that there's a couple like sort of avenues in which that's uh, particularly the case sometimes i think um i i think we don't always actively think about what the ideas that we're using are and that sounds kind of meta i guess but like we don't talk about nursing process as a theoretical endeavor right but um, drawing from Mary Ellen Perkis here, who's a, a nurse philosopher in Canada, um, she kind of characterizes theory as uh, making sense of what's going on around you, right? And we do that all the time in nursing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's maybe a little bit different from um, what I think is like nursing theory, at least to me, like American tradition, um, which is a little bit more um, formal. Yeah. But I I also think that it's okay for the theory to be a little bit less formal. Right. Um, And and when we're making up, when we're coming up with these explanations for like, say, why our patient is tanking, right, that we're doing theorizing and we're testing that theory by doing interventions to see if it fixes the problem or not. Right. Right. Um, So yes, I think we're moving away from away from it but we still use these ideas so it's like we're still um it's kind of like when you don't interrogate your uh, philosophical assumptions right just because you haven't thought about them I mean they're not there somewhere
0: right and um, i think it's i think it's the terminology right like I, I mean for me i think we need to um we need to call it out for what it is and not just say it it's just this random thing that happens, right? So actually calling it out uh, for what it is and how nursing has its own process. And I think how um, the thought process and when I went to school, um, like for example, Orem was the sort of the nurse theorist that's, you know, I still, you know, they, they beat it into my head so much that even, <laughs> even at home when my kids get hurt, I'm like, mm, go take care of it, you know, or, you know, go take care, you know, just sort of like that model of, you know, self-care and, you know, getting them back to, you know, full function type of a thing. Um, but, you know, but there's been nurse theorists that I've always made sure if I'm writing, I have a nurse theorist sort of embedded in the back of my head when I'm writing and things like that. Uh, so I, I know, you know, uh, from that perspective, it's important for me to have that component. But uh, like I said, I feel like we're not calling it out anymore. And, and by not calling out like a model or uh, or some kind of a thing, we're just... It, it, it just kind of dissipates as a thought, right? Um,
1: the Nursology blog does kind of one of the sort of aims of that is to make sure that there's resources for people to to recognize that this historical legacy that we have in our in our intellectual tradition as nurses, right? Um, so, but but yeah, I, I think you're you're right. I think we don't talk about it super much. It certainly isn't on the NCLEX or in journals. Um, and that's important when we're thinking about um, the structure of nursing education um, important insofar as that's what we've decided is important, right? The, the uh, essentials and the NCLEX. I don't necessarily always align super closely with those assessments though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I agree. And I think you actually you touched on a thing I was just thinking about is like, we don't see it like the people that are, sort of governing or overseeing nursing education, don't call it out. Um, and it's not a requirement at any given point in time. So as a result, I think people aren't spending any energy on it. I think there should be energy uh, spent on it, definitely. Uh, so thank you so much. Uh, this has been great. Uh, I want to give you a, give you some time to talk about anything else you want to share uh, with 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 the audience, any kind of work that you want to do or you're planning on doing, or uh...
1: well, thank you so much. I mean i I have this little dream of making my dissertation um, into a graphic novel, and so that is something that I'm putting out into the world now for the first time on your podcast. Oh, that's um... fantastic. <laughs> uh, and,
0: and, so... and, we, and you know, you know, we know the same person that just put out a graphic novel around. Uh...
1: I know. And that's, uh, you know, I, I think that there's um, so much power in these other kinds of media, right? Um, right. And, it, you know, like, I love to write. I, no cap. I love writing. Um, it really does, like, feed my soul, helps me think is what I enjoy doing. Um, but I also see so much potential in these graphic forms, for um telling stories that might not get out there otherwise and the story of cassandra is is a great story um there are some really interesting things that they did and were able to accomplish and i would love for that to be documented in that way so that's um one you know somewhere in the offing uh outcome i'm hoping for there um and you know publications from my dissertation as well of course um and then i think uh just continuing my research is, is, is my, my hope. I, um, like you, I don't necessarily find a ton of, um, I don't know. I don't see myself that much in Florence Nightingale. Um, and, and I think that their representation matters. Uh, so, so it is useful to have other kinds of folks out there as, as models of what it means to be a nurse and what nurses can look like. And so, kind of um, digging into this uh, sort of queer and radical political history of nursing, which really is out there. That's sort of what I uh, envision the program of research that I'll be embarking on next.
0: That's fantastic. Uh, And as as you're mentioning, you know, uh, the graphic novel, there's just so many ways that I think, uh, again, it goes back to how we've constructed nursing, right? Uh, Where everything turns into a peer-reviewed paper as a way for us to disseminate information. And there's so many other avenues, uh, you know, like the graphic novels. Um, I'm working on a, on an art project around, you know, things like PPE and how, you know, uh, healthcare workers during the Black Lives Matters movements have interacted and a lot of other issues. Um, but I think there's so many other creative ways for us to get information out as nurses, as scientists, as um, uh, <laughs> So, uh, so there's so many different avenues that we can do this. I think we just need to, from a professional perspective, we really need to look at how we we have defined what we can and can't do.
1: Right. And, and this goes back to the, like, who, who are we and what, what do we mean to the world? I think that, right. um, I think in particular, visual representations have a, a power to kind of shake that up sometimes in ways that, um, you know, if you're already interested in like radical feminism or if you're already interested in nursing, you might pick up a book about it. But if you're not.
0: <laughs> but I mean, that that's always been, that's been one of my arguments is like that we need to, we need to be reaching an audience uh, outside of just nursing. Right. And if we're just publishing in nursing peer reviewed journals, the general public is not seeing the work that we're doing as scientists, right. Or as activists or however uh, you want to, you know, or, or, you know, um, Policymakers and things like that. So, I think we need to really uh, take a look at our place in the world and how and who we're engaging, right? Absolutely. And how we're engaging. And, I mean,
1: yeah. and that's why I, I think the work that Lauren Underwood is doing is so important. Yes. The work that Cory yes. Bush is doing is so important. That's why the, the kind of community engaged activism that Monica Macklemore does is so important. That's why oh, yeah. MK's work is so special, right? right. Is that, that we're getting people to think about the work that we do in. Um, Transformative kinds of ways, rather than like um, handmaiden of the you know whatever (laughs) kind of ways, right? Like that's that's really never who nursing has been, and even Florence Nightingale wasn't you know such a handmaiden. People learned about her; she was kind of a force of nature, uh, for for better or worse.
0: Um, Uh, Yeah, I mean, I mean, she definitely had there's definitely uh, issues with her, but she definitely was not the quiet, submissive uh, housewife really <laughs> at the time, right? So she really right. did step out of that out of that box. And I think that's one thing I can always say uh, I, I appreciate about her and the merry sequels of the world where they stepped out of the box of what was expected of them. Um, um, like I said, they all had their issues and problems and we need to address those ap- appropriately. But I think uh, from the perspective, if anything that I can relate to is being not following the norm of what was expected. I think that's something uh, we took sort of these radical nurses and we put them in a box and said, everybody else be like them. Uh, And I think that doesn't always fit. Um, Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I greatly appreciate you being on this show. Uh, Loved our conversation. Hopefully uh, next time I call you and say, can we talk? It won't be just for the podcast. All right. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, You have, Thank you. Uh, we have been uh, listening to and speaking with uh, Dr. Jess Dillard-Wright. Congratulations again on your, uh, on your uh, dissertation presentation uh, and successful completion of that. Um, so thank you so much. And uh, I want to wish everybody uh, a fantastic uh, rest of your week. And we'll be talking to you soon. Have a great one. You've been listening to The RN Mentor with your host, Ali Tayeb. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayip.com. That's www.aliartayip.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair wins and following Z.